0: Welcome to Down With The Dig. I'm Shella.
1: And I'm Matt. This is a podcast presented by the Ohio Laborers Union to keep you connected to your labor family. This is Down With The Dig.
2: Shella, one thing that I've never experienced is an on-the-job injury. So I don't wouldn't even know what to do if something happened at work and I got hurt.
0: Well, the thing that you always hear is workers' compensation. <laughs> so I guess today's guest will kind of fill us in on what that actually means. and. Maybe, you know, some steps on what we should do if we're ever injured on a job.
2: I think I will learn a lot because I really don't know anything about workers' compensation.
0: And neither do I.
2: We are joined today by Glenn McKinley, Acting Director of Loss Prevention Operations for the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. Hi, Glenn.
1: Hello. How are you today?
2: Good. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background?
1: Well, um, I have been uh, involved in safety and health field since uh, about 1992-93. Um, so quite a while. Uh, I started out uh, as a, uh, um, a safety person for a Metro Park district. Um, then I went on to uh, working as a uh, um, adult education uh, coordinator for a program focused on environmental health and safety. And then I moved on to being a compliance officer for the state of Ohio Public Employment Risk Reduction Program and did that for almost 20 years until I transitioned to being the director of the program. And now I've moved up one more level, and now I oversee all loss prevention operations for the Bureau of Workers' Compensation Division of Safety and Hygiene, which includes the Public Employment Risk Reduction Program, uh, the OSHA On-Site Consultation Program, and also our local service office field operations unit. So we have about 125 or so field people that I supervise.
0: So you've been on all levels of health and safety pretty much.
1: I have. I've been, I've done it all.
2: So before we get too far, we probably should explain a little bit about what the Bureau of Workers' Compensation is and what it does.
1: Well, we, we were founded in uh, 1912. Uh, in 1912, uh, around that time, uh, the federal government decided that they wanted to have a system in place to ensure that injured workers could have an avenue to get reimbursed for expenses that they may incur and and their lost wages that they were injured on the job Um, they kind of called it the great compromise at the time Um, so it's a no-fault insurance program every state is required to operate a workers compensation system however um, ohio is unique we are only, only one of four states in the country that operate as a monopoly, meaning that we are the sole remedy for workers' compensation in the state of Ohio. Um, If a business or an employer, I should say, because it could be public or private, operates in the state of Ohio, they must secure their uh, workers' compensation insurance through through the Ohio BWC.
0: I saw where you guys provide the insurance for about two-thirds of Ohio's workforce. That's a lot of people.
1: It is uh, the the remaining one third are um, very large employers. You know, I'll throw out some names here you know, like General Motors and Ford, and the very large employers that have decided to self insure. Um, even when they self insure, they have to deposit funds with us to kind of guarantee that they will pay those workers. So um, we we oversee them, but they pay out their claims directly themselves.
0: Um, what was the reason Ohio created the system?
1: Well, the system was created, as I said, because of uh, basically a federal compromise that uh, required all states to develop this system, uh, this workers' compensation system, to uh, to make sure that uh, workers were you know fairly compensated if they were injured on the job or if they had an illness. Uh, on the job, you know, something like asbestosis or silicosis or something that may require, you know, 30 years before someone's diagnosed and and they actually come down with the disease. So it's, it's a long-term program. Uh, we're actually still paying out, believe it or not, on claims that were filed back in the 1930s, I believe. I think we still have a claim going all the way back to the
0: 1930s. So, and you also said that coverage is It's mandatory for employers to have that coverage, right?
1: Correct. Either they have to have it through us or they have to be large enough uh, that they can self-insure. Other states, kind of put it in perspective, other states um, may have like a public-private agreement where they have private insurers that that kind of compete in an open marketplace. Um, Ohio long ago decided that um, we really wanted to just be the sole remedy because it gets confusing um, for employers, especially even larger employers. Uh, when you move from state to state to state, it's very difficult to decide how you're going to provide coverage. And we, a few years ago, we even provided our out-of-state coverage so that we provide coverage for um, uh, employers that may have operations in other states.
0: And Ohio's considered, what, the largest state operated?
1: We are. We are the largest state fund. As I said, there are only four, um, period, that are, are true monopolies. Uh, the other states are North Dakota, Wyoming, um, and Washington State. So the, only the four of us uh, are, are uh, monopolies, if you will. I hate to use that word, but we are the sole remedy in, in each of our states. Um, but we are by far the largest. Uh, we're actually one of the largest insurance companies, period um there are not a lot of insurance companies i mean there are there are some that are bigger than us but we're up there mm-hmm. we have about uh, you said two-thirds right now in active policies um, we have over 250,000 policies that mm-hmm. we that we service
2: so let's talk about the benefits let's say i'm a worker and i get injured on the job what kind of benefits are available to me
1: Well, as an injured worker, you know, it depends upon, obviously, the nature of your injury, but you've got the uh, ability to apply for workers' compensation coverage. Um, We do that through a basic claim form, uh, and uh, the employer certifies the claim, and and, uh, depending upon the the circumstances, uh, it may or may not be investigated. Normally, we allow the employer to certify the claim, and then we pay, um, depending upon Again, the circumstances, we we pay the medical bills. And then if the person is off work for an extended period of time, we also will pay lost wages. But lost wages typically do not kick in until after seven days.
0: So if I was, like, say, exposed to asbestos 10 years ago, but, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't have any kinds of signs or symptoms that I had been exposed to it, do you pay that, like, once that I'm diagnosed with some sort of illness caused by that?
1: Well, yeah, we have to, we, obviously, there has to be some sort of an investigation to make sure that, you know, because you're actually going to make a file a claim against a particular empo- employer. Um, so we have to show, you know, or you, I mean, as the claimant, you kind of have to show that you actually were employed by that employer, because you're, you don't just file it, without any connection to some sort of employment history. So we would wanna know, um, you know, who did you work for? Where where were you potentially exposed to asbestos? And it's not uncommon um, for uh, those kinds of claims where it's an occupational disease claim mm-hmm. for us to see that the, the worker doesn't really know which of the employers they may have may have had the exposure from. So they will literally file four or five claims. You know, they'll file it for all of the employers that they potentially worked for where there was a a reasonable likelihood that during that particular work, they may have been exposed to asbestos. Asbestos is super complicated. Occupational diseases in particular are very complicated. We have a dedicated team that does nothing but occupational Mm -hmm. disease claims. That's their whole purpose in, in life. So.
0: I can remember when I worked down at one of our local unions, and we would have men who were filing those claims, and we would have to send copies of like work records and the amount of time they spent at, you know, for a certain company at a certain plant or whatever it may be. So I remember sure. there were there was a lot to that.
1: Yes, there is. There's quite a lot.
0: Does an employer that
2: that has a worker file a claim? Does that impact how much they have to pay in, or is it more of a you know, a statewide rating system that sets the premium for those workers?
1: Um, two yeses on that. So, <laughs> it is, I mean, it is. It, I mean, yes, claims history, claims do impact. Um, and, and I, I, I don't want to get too far afield in my area of expertise because I don't deal a lot with the claims end of things. Sure. But to basically answer your question, the answer is that, yes, um, a claim does have an impact on how much you pay. And there also is what's known as a base rate. So every um, employer is measured against a base rate. They're measured against their peers in the same industry. So we have something that are called manual classifications. So depending upon the kind of work an employee does, it, it determines their risk, for lack of a better way to explain it. So, it, you know, a, an employer that has all office people has a much lower risk than a steel worker. Sure, you know, or you know, so it, it's it's it just depends upon the nature of the business. So rates are are determined based on risk, overall risk, and then also those claims can impact the premium.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the division that you work for for the Ohio BWC?
1: Sure, I work for the Division of Safety and Hygiene, and as I said, the bureau was established in 1912. Um, A few years after that, and and we were established, actually, and were uh, ensconced in the Ohio Constitution, not just Ohio state law, but we were part of the Ohio Constitution. And as part of that constitutional effort, a few years after 1912, actually in 1923, um, the Constitution was amended in Ohio to create our division. So our division was created back in 1923, so we're approaching our 100th anniversary as a division here. And we were charged with the mission of investigating and reducing the numbers of injuries and illnesses of workers uh, in Ohio. So we that's, that's primarily what we do. We, we try to work with employers to be proactive, um, try to go into their workplaces, point out risk factors, that could potentially result in a claim. We also do some back-end things, the so things that are what what we kind of look at as is, is a lagging indicator. They're leading and lagging. Leading is you're going out and trying to anticipate something happening. And lagging is you're going in after the fact and then figuring out what went wrong. It's always better to get in there ahead of time. And that's where our, our primary focus is. But we'll also go in and, and we will get referrals from time to time from the claims side of the house saying, hey, there was a serious injury at this employer. Um, please reach out to them because it's a possibility that maybe maybe there's something that they need to change uh, because if they don't change that, a, a second worker could potentially be injured down the road. So we do a little bit of both.
0: How many employees do you have in that division? Because that sounds like it'd be a lot of groundwork.
1: It is a lot of ground. Um, we Uh, Total, you know, we've got, like I said earlier, we've got about 125 field people that go out and work with employers um, trying to uh, uh, proactively identify these risk factors. But we also have uh, um, a large contingent of people. Um, I think our total division um, is right now around 185 people. Um, So we have about 60 people that that work in other things like the the we have a education training services group that produces our online training um, and our classroom training when, when we're not in a pandemic mode um, we have a lot of classroom uh, classroom classes that we hold um, So that group um, we have uh, a group of people that uh, works with grants um, to try to help employers, uh, with funding for different safety initiatives or what we call interventions. Um, And we don't fund everything that's safety related. We have some things that we really, we think that it's the employer's responsibility to fund. Um, But by by nature of being in in business, there are some things that you have to take on as part of your, your expenses. And safety is certainly one of those things that they should be budgeting for. So you we know, don't. We don't typically, um, for most businesses, fund things like personal protective equipment. You know, normally that's that's not a fundable thing, or or uh, providing them with equipment that would ensure minimum compliance with the OSHA standards. Okay, so um, those kinds of things, you know, because they're in business, they should they should have thought of that, and they should be purchasing that, that equipment. But things that go above and beyond that, um, you know, I'll give you a good example. We work a lot with, uh, with fire departments at the moment, um, and uh, we've got a couple of different initiatives with fire departments, one of which is to help them outfit their um, ambulances and, and um, transport vehicles with uh, cot systems that will allow the, the, the firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics to safely load patients in and out of that vehicle. So it's a motorized system that where the cot itself is motorized to go up and down and then there's a lift device that lifts the entire cot up in there. Um, before those came onto the market a few years ago it was all manual labor to do sure. that mm-hmm. and uh, it was backbreaking manual labor. So we've done a lot and, and they're not inexpensive and right. so you think about a department that has even two or three um, units, they could be looking at, you know, a hundred thousand um, dollars to do that. So we try our best to to help them with that. And we have a, a three to one matching grant program where we pick up three, three parts and they, they toss in one part and we will help them uh, uh, fund that. So that's just one example of things where we try to be a little bit um, proactive in helping the employer.
2: The laborers here in Ohio are representing more and more public sector employees. How does the BWC work with uh, public employers?
1: Well, we we do work with a lot of public employers. I mentioned that that's uh, primarily uh, where I spent most of my career in safety and health as a public employer um, uh, uh, safety and health. And we have the public employment risk reduction program, which uh, is is a little bit unique. In fact, it's it's very unique in that. It's the only program like it in the entire country where it's expected to provide or we expect uh, uh, the staff there to provide both consultative assistance or what we call compliance assistance to public employers. And they are also the enforcement agency. So they enforce the, the regulations that we've adopted and incorporated by reference um, in, the, in the Ohio Revised Code or Ohio Administrative Code. And uh, they, they functionally act as OSHA. Now, I say that they're unique because uh, every other state that has something like our Public Employment Risk Reduction Program is over, they have an oversight from federal OSHA. And uh, they do that through something called a state plan. If, if you operate a state plan in your state, then you are required um, by federal law to cover your public employees. At the moment, only 28 states have taken that option. Okay, and of those 28 states, um, most of them cover both public and private employees. There are a handful of states that just provide public sector coverage, and those are New York, Connecticut, um, New Jersey, and Illinois, and i'm trying to think of which one i'm forgetting but there's one more that i'm forgetting but uh, they they also provide uh, um, uh, they only provide public sector uh, I- enforcement and then osha provides the private sector enforcement uh, the, the the other states and kind of using ohio as the example um, all of our bordering states are are different um, ohio is not a state plan so we have no oversight from federal OSHA. we operate entirely under uh, the Ohio revised Code um, but uh, Michigan Indiana and Kentucky have state plan states okay meaning that they're required by federal law because they've decided to do it that way to cover their public sector workers um, Pennsylvania and uh, West Virginia which border us are federal OSHA states but they don't have any public sector programs so if you work in Pennsylvania or you work in West Virginia and you are a public employee, there isn't any oversight agency for your occupational safety and health. None. Okay. And that's true of, any, of most states that don't operate a state plan.
0: Um, a couple years ago, I had attended an event that the BWC and OSHA had put on. I think it was like in Pinkerton. And it was about the Focus Four. I keep wanting to call it the Fabulous Four, but can you tell <laughs> us? Can you tell us a little bit about the Focus Four?
1: Yeah, and, and that's a, that's a program for perp for, for public employers. And and actually, I I started that when I was the director of PERP because I wanted to. Uh, I, I did a couple things. Uh, I, I accomplished a couple things uh, while I was director of PERP. I got uh, the Ohio Revised Code changed so that perp could do what are known as scheduled inspections meaning that we can develop a list of employers to go out and inspect without receiving a complaint a a notice of a refusal to work or um, someone dying on the job and us needing to go out and do a fatality investigation so this new scheduled inspection authority that, that we got under the ohio revised code kind of required us to develop some criteria you know, we didn't want to, and, and our resources are limited. You know, we don't have a, a large staff for PERP. So we didn't want to just do a shotgun approach. So I said, let's, let's think about what are some of the things where we see the, the riskiest behaviors with public employers. The things that when they are doing them, there is a high probability of a serious injury or a fatality occurring. So we looked at those and the four areas that we came up with were tree trimming and tree work. Um, We've had an incredible number of deaths and and serious injuries with tree trimming and and tree work in general. Um, We have uh, trenching and excavation. Um, We've had a large number of injuries. Uh, Thankfully, for public employers, um, we've only had one fatality in trenching excavation, which is... Kind of amazing, considering how much work they do in there. But we have had a lot of serious injuries with that. Um, The next thing down were permit-required confined spaces. You know, if you're entering a manhole or uh, any other space that meets the criteria of a confined space, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And if they do go wrong, getting you out of the space and getting you to a medical facility is extremely difficult unless there's a lot of pre-planning in place. So uh, that was the third uh, area for the focus for. And then the fourth area, which is one that's been around for, or an issue for a long time is highway work zones. Um, If you are a public employee and you die on the job, other than an actual motor vehicle accident, which is actually the number one leading cause of, of serious injuries and deaths for employees period, um, but if you take that motor vehicle accidents out, really uh, work zone incidents are probably the number one cause of, of workplace fatalities for, for public employees. That's not necessarily true for the private sector, but for public employees, that's it's extremely dangerous work activity. Um, you know, if you're standing out there um, on the job, I don't know if either of you have ever been out there, but if you're on the highway, with cars whizzing past you at 70, 80 miles an hour, um, it's it's a harrowing thing to have happen to you. So it, it's it, even if you just get a flat tire out there, so it, it's it's not not a fun thing to do. And we have some pl- employers that do an excellent job at that, um, and we have others that really need some help. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that that was uh, one, of our, one of our focus four areas. So those are the four areas that are covered under the focus four. And, and you'll hear OSHA talk about a focus four also, but they have a focus four for construction activities, which is a little bit different, um, but that's for the private sector.
0: And I know we do a lot of work zone safety advocacy, and I know that uh, Bethany Billy, our executive director, was actually, they shot a commercial out there and and she was in one of those work zones and she talked about that feeling of those cars just flying by you at 70 miles an hour so uh, i can imagine the the danger that those men and women face out there
1: and it's it's a daily thing for them you know it's something that they just do every day and um you know we're all glad that they do because it gives us the ability to travel on safe roads right
2: well, Shella, I certainly learned a lot today, and I think the big takeaway for me is how much BWC works to prevent workplace incidents, not just be there as a resource if someone does get hurt.
0: Right. That's the one, of, one of the things that I had taken away from it also. And then also to know that they insure two-thirds of Ohio's workers, to me, I, that was crazy. I didn't realize that number was like that.
2: It certainly is a big role and an important role mm-hmm. for the workers of Ohio. Oh, for sure. We want to hear from you. Send us any thoughts or ideas for shows or questions you may have at talk at downwiththedig.com.
0: And remember to like us, share us, download us, subscribe to us, and also tell all your friends.
2: We want to thank you, the listeners, for making us one of the fastest growing podcasts in all of America. And we want to thank you for joining us today
0: be safe out there.
1: Well, now you're up to date. Views and comments expressed on this podcast may not be those of Ohio Labor's District Council or LIUNA. Thanks for listening, and let's be careful out there.